podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. podcast, 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 podcast. Yo, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Dishonomics Podcast. I can't remember what episode number this is off the top of the head, but that doesn't matter. Today I'm joined by a very special guest named Shirley. Shirley, how are you doing today? Hi, Ayo. Thank you. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Very, very polite. I like to see it. So um, tell us about yourself as much or as little as you would like to, to say. Okay, so my name's Shirley. Um, 24. Um, yeah, I feel like loads of people don't know that my name is Shirley because of my at name, but yeah. Um, 24 from London and um, work nine to five. And in my spare time, I, I like to write. Yeah, that's about it. Like, what do you like to write about? Um, so I like to write about Pan African issues, or I'd say I like to write about Pan Africanism. Um, that's what I dedicated like my writing to okay for those who don't know what is pan-africanism how can you describe it so i feel like people have different definitions of pan-africanism um i would say that it's the unity and advancement of everybody of african descent so i feel like my belief stems like extends to um everybody in the diaspora that actually is of African descent, be it whether you're an African-Caribbean, an African-American. But I feel like other people have different definitions that blur the line. Like some people would only relate it to sub-Saharan Africans mm. because of ethnic differences and stuff like that. But I I just like to look at things holistically. So I'd say everyone. Okay. And where can we find your writing? Um, so on my website, which is sozia.com, and that's where I post all of my writing. And my books are sold there as well. Okay. Oh, you got books as well. Okay, we love to see it. I'm gonna put make sure that the link is in the description of this podcast. So if you listen to it on Spotify, just click the name of the pod. It will bring up a little description for you. The link will be there. Same with SoundCloud and Apple Podcast and whatever Ooh. dodgy platform you're listening to. Anyway, so we're here to discuss um, Congo. As I hope people have seen, or if you haven't, well, you're in the right place. Um, There's been a lot of issues happening in Africa that have kind of reached the line in terms of social media and mainstream media. Obviously, um, NSARS in Nigeria. But today we're discussing um, Congo. Um, I think the hashtag is Congo is bleeding. So, um, Shirley, since this is your remake, remit, not remake, you know, what kind of word is that? Um, Could you kind of... Give us um, some just regarding like the history. It's, it's funny that you touched on the history. And yeah, I would say that's one of the most important contributors to the state of, of Congo now. But um, as, as I was speaking to you about earlier, when I think about the Congo situation and how complex it, it really is, the easiest way to understand what's happening is to split it into four elements or, you know, four different dimensions i suppose and those would be the history like you mentioned um just to go into it a little bit i'm sure we'll explore it a bit more 
later. But to go into it, you've got Leopold and, you know, what he did by owning Congo as his own personal um, state. And I feel like the history is very defining. So the defining history, what Leopold did, um, then carrying on to conflicts between the eastern region and the capital, um, certain leaders being killed sort of shaped our prolonged future. Um, so that's just one element. And then we have an economic problem, which essentially is a huge imbalance. Um, when someone from outside looks at Congo, they see a country with one of the lowest GDP rates in the world. And then on the other hand, they see the richest country in natural resources in the world. So there's a huge imbalance. And that's what I would define as the economic problem. But essentially, the economic problem is that we cannot benefit from our natural resources in short, right? And um, the rest of the factors that I'm going to mention, they all contribute towards that economic problem as well. Um, the third one, I would say, is I call it the conflict problem. Um, and essentially, that's, I, I don't know, you might have seen people maybe on the timeline referring to other neighbouring countries, African countries, um, Rwanda, Uganda, Burundi. They might have referred to those countries saying that there's conflict in Congo that um, has stemmed from those countries. So there's also, at the moment, a region of Congo that's like under attack. Um, and again, all these regions that are under attack by rebel forces are mineral-rich regions. So, you know, that's that's another issue that we're facing. And then there's the, the humanitarian problem, you know, on a wide scale. So that would be the child labour, the sexual assault. Um, it would be women's rights activists that have their life threatened. And it would be um, the healthcare issue. You know, just two weeks ago, there was a report of the um, World Health Organization workers and UNICEF workers abusing Congolese women um, in Eastern Congo as well. So there's also the issue of, you know, where we, just to touch back on child labor, this is where the whole technological companies argument comes in about the role that they play. Mm. So, you know, in short, there's like different angles that the problems are coming from. Um, so... Yeah, a whole a whole bunch of issues, really. Okay, cool. So let's well, you you nicely divided it into four pieces. So let's start with um, the defining history in some more detail. So what can you tell um, the listeners of this knowledge podcast about defining history and, and what and what impact does it make to the wider issue? Mm. Okay, so I think for me the most touching part would be Leopold. Um, obviously, you know when you think of the horrors of Congo, it was it was start from like the colonial period. And um I think what's most important about about the Leopold thing is that and for those for those people that don't know, obviously he invaded Congo, he took it as um a prized possession and essentially he went and um enslaved the entire um population and yeah essentially everyone was working for him. So why that is so important is of course Congo is not the only African country that experienced being invaded um, and, you know, being colonised. But I feel like what happened with Leopold was it, was, it affected us physically, but it also affected us psychologically, these people. Um, and I feel like, although the direct impact was a lot of blood being shed, you know, our resources being taken, our, our generations that were worked, 
um, and killed by labour, you know, they didn't benefit from it. But ultimately, the psychological impact that that had on Congolese people, I believe, was was also very damaging. Um, and, you know, I'll touch on that. I'll go into a bit more detail on that in the sense that when Leopold did invade Congo, um, he had he had written a letter to the missionaries that he deployed out there. And just by the things that he was saying, like the level of manipulation, um, the fact that as Europeans they used, that they were educated as an advantage, you know, over over many Africans, not just Congolese, but Mm -hmm. you can see that clearly happening um, by just reading his letter. You can see what his thought process was. So I feel like we have a big, we had a, a big psychological um, a hit, a hit, you know, that we haven't been able to come out of. And now a lot of these people use hope or superstition to basically find the answers for why we're in this mess when really there are, you know, historical things that have happened that have destroyed, you know, the mindset of, of many Congolese people, just depleted any sort of any sort of strength that, you know, our ancestors had at the time. And on top of that, you know, if we're moving a bit further on in history, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of a man called Patrice Lumumba. Um, he was a Pan-Africanist national leader um, in Congo. And, of course, as a nationalist, his aim was to gather everyone together, um, go in one direction, un- you know, unify the whole of Congo. Um, and at the time that he was coming up, you can say, Congo was experiencing um, a lot of division. So one region of Congo called Gadanga, it's very mineral rich as well. They wanted to be separate. They were under Belgian, um, under Belgian influence, should I say, and they wanted to be separate from Congo because they felt like, okay, well, we have the resources. We can make, you know, this province rich mm-hmm. and you guys could sort of stay over there. That was the thing. But obviously Lumumba, as, as a nationalist leader, he was about everyone being unified and, you know, Congo using its resources for good. He had the right idea. And essentially I say that if he didn't, if he wasn't killed by certain people, you know, certain countries, um, if he wasn't killed, then we'd be looking at a different, a different Congo. And that's why I say that there's a defining history Mm. that contributes to the ultimate the overall problem yeah okay and what would you and how would you say that's impacting things happening today um so okay so then we'll have to move on to like let's say that the second problem i mentioned economic one the economic problem right yeah let's just use that as an example so if you look at um, Congo having the lowest GDP rate in the world and, you know, you ask yourself the question, how is that possible? The, the country, you know, how is the country with the most natural resources on the planet, how is it one of the poorest in the world? And, you know, ultimately that doesn't really logically make sense to you. So the way I like to describe it is to understand the extent of the economic crisis in Congo, it's to explain it in an ideal world, right? And if we were to imagine, a lot of people probably look at Congo, and I've seen as well over the past like couple of weeks, I've seen people saying like, you know, you know, Congo could be developed. It's the leaders' fault. You know, why aren't the leaders doing X, Y, and Z? And you know, in an idle word, if you if you know about the basis of economics, what boosts an economy? It's it's demand, right? Mm-hmm. That's what boosts GDP. So, obviously, if we're saying, okay, how would we solve Congo's problem? We've got consumption you've got investment you've got government expenditure and you've got 
exports minus imports you've got net exports yeah and the most important part of that related to congo is the net exports part because congo being the, the richest country in natural resources means in an ideal world like I, I have to keep saying this um that we should have a surplus yeah. in net exports okay like logically and essentially that surplus in net exports would boost every other component of demand like you know if if we're saying okay how can the government solve this problem okay we take we take a surplus from our exports that we have in abundance um and then you know the government will have to spend on on training people adults not children you know how to go into the mines and and extract this these minerals and pay them an adequate salary they have money in their pocket you know they spend consumption consumption then you know as they're spending we get more national income what do you do with national income you reinvest it right in an ideal world into the economy again that attracts foreign investment there you go that's your economy booming okay but that's not the case in congo so you can see that there's a clear imbalance because we are not able to benefit from the resources that we have. And I think essentially that's the hand of oppression over Congo. It's got all these things, but we physically cannot cannot benefit from it. And when you ask, just to tie into your question in the beginning, when you asked, okay, how does the history impact that? Well, it's because, like I said, with certain leaders, Lumumba, this was his idea. Like this was where he was going. He knew we had loads of resources. He wanted us to compete on international markets. You know, he had the right idea and he wanted to also encourage he wasn't the only African leader at the time there was also um Kwame Nkrumah from from Ghana as well on the same page you know they wanted to um encourage all other African countries to be competing on the international market um for that stuff but obviously as he was killed and he was sort of the last hope you know in a leader that had pure intentions I would say for Congo um this is now the, the impact on our economy as as it stands today we are not physically able to do the necessary the necessary things i don't know if it does that explain it yeah it does so um so when so people listening to me okay what do you mean you're not physically able so for example um we're talking about um congo they have congo has very very strong um, resources we're talking especially cobalt and copper like congo mm-hmm. has um 70% of the world's cobalt and more than 30% of the world's diamond reserves so that is mm-hmm. ridiculous resource so yeah. for the listeners listening to this economics thinking okay so you congo has all these amazing resources you're saying they can't tap into them so why so what what are the things that have been in place who are the players whether they be domestic domestic or foreign why can't um the congolese people or the government or whoever you may want to say tap into these resources okay that's a very good question um so it brings me on nicely to the third the Mm. third problem or the third element being the conflict um the conflict problem and also also does tie into the fourth one as well because i'm going to touch on you know the humanitarian crisis and how these big corporate companies play their role but let's focus on the um, the conflict problem because that is situated in eastern congo for the most part yeah and eastern congo is obviously a very mineral rich area of our country so um just not to hopefully i can explain this in a way that people can uh, can understand but Essentially, there's a group, um, a Tutsi-originated group called Banya Mulenge 
in the eastern east of Congo, and um, they're said to have arrived in Congo in the late 1800s. Um, so they're a pastoral nomadic group, and for those who might not know what that means, is that by definition they actually travel aimlessly um, with their herd and their cattle, and they graze their cattle over land. So they have cows, they have sheep, and they relocate with their cattle and their cattle you know grows and they just do that up and leave when they're when they want basically that's the type of people that they are so um in the late 1800s they they located to they migrated to eastern congo um and burundi um i think i mentioned that at the beginning you might have seen some people implicating burundi as well in the congo problem and there are rebel groups in burundi or from burundi that are warring with their current government and as they were with their current government, they're pursuing the Tutsi people. They're pursuing the Banyamulenge, knowing that they fled into Congo. So they know that some of them have migrated to Congo in hundreds, and their aim is to basically eliminate them. So they're fighting Banyamulenge forces, and they're fighting them in our land. So, of course, when you have conflict, mm-hmm. and it's not self-inflicted, it's foreign conflict, but it's in our land because we share borders with all of these countries. Um, so to get more specific, um, there's a region called Minembwe at the moment, which is is currently under siege um, by Burundi forces and there's Rwandan rebel forces and Uganda rebel forces. And essentially there's no law and order. The only law is, is gunfire and machete, literally, because... At the end of the day, the people that are pursuing, um, you know, that Tutsi group, they're not going to to let up um, until they eliminate those group of people. But Congolese people also, and when I say Congolese people, I say this cautiously because there are tensions because of this as well between, okay, well, are these people actually Congolese or did they just sort of come to Congo and then bring this with them? Mm. Or are they Congolese because they've been grazing that land for how many, you know, how many years, over a century. That, that's the argument. But essentially, Congolese people would argue that, okay, this is, a foreign conf- this is a foreign conflict that's now been brought into our land and that Congolese people have, many Congolese people have died at the hands of. Mm. Um, and obviously the rebel forces, their, their answer to everything is ravaging villages and, you know, chopping people into pieces, raping people. Mm. And of course, that's whether you're co- Congolese or not. You know, if you're in the land that they're, suspect the people that they're pursuing to be then that's that's your fate and also just to give more context there's also the Rwandan genocide that comes into this as well because when that happened the Tutsis that were being killed by the Hutus also ran into Congo they're also Banyamulenge as well Mm. um and so now you can see that there's there's ethnic tensions there where you've got on one hand you've got the Banyamulenge who are being pursued wrongfully um, and they're being killed in Congo, but then you've got other people that are Congolese that might feel like, is this really our conflict? It's yeah, I want to be cautious about that, but mm. essentially, um, if we if we have um, an area that's riddled with conflict, we can't we can't benefit from the minerals that are there. That's the extent of the conflict that's happening in that in that area. So, where we've got the rebel forces from Miranda, all these different countries, while they're while they're fighting each other. And killing our people and killing their people and it's just one big mess the minerals are being stolen because mm. there's no law 
You know, there's no law and order. So minerals that are from Congo is being stolen. They're being sold in Rwanda. They're being sold here, there and everywhere, really. There's no there's no control. Um, so that's what I meant when I said we can't physically benefit from it. Um, and that's what I mean, you know, when people say the Congo problem is very complex, I think now, you know, that might be sort of illustrating how complex it actually is. Yeah, it's very, it's very multidimensional. What about the role yeah, of... Yeah. Um, um like foreign corporations or foreign um foreign nations play regarding the economic um situation so um i'd say the big the big problem is back to the natural resources you've got the technological companies that essentially wouldn't be they wouldn't exist without congo um because for them to have, you know, for them to mass produce on the scale that they do, um, you know, it's an obvious question where are they getting these resources from. But the problem is that these people are not being transparent and they're not being accountable. These companies know that they are hiring children um, in in Congo to mine um, to mine coal. And it might not necessarily be that they're under their employment, but you know, they have ways of. You know, protecting themselves mm-hmm. and getting local people to hire children maybe and stuff like that so they know that there are children working and we have to ask ourselves as well how comes apple and these these big companies samsung i mean they're not all coming to my head right now but we know who they are their household names right how come we don't see published supply chains maybe they exist but i've never seen something like a supply chain come come to the forefront like i've seen like an annual report you know why are these why is this information so hard to find um and i think a lot of you might have seen this free congo movement and stuff like that that we've got going on one of our aims is to encourage these companies to publish their supply chains because you know we would need to see um the point of inception of these products which would take us back to congo and and this is the problem you know we want accountability um and you know if these companies are getting them getting the minerals you know dirt cheap um from other african countries as well that are willing to keep the conflict in congo going so that there's no law there's no order we can just keep going and keep taking and these companies are complicit because when you when you don't argue against something are you for it do you know what i mean it's like if you don't say this is wrong then you're benefiting from it and you must be okay with with it so um i'd say that's how the the technological companies come into play and i'd say we can't forget the role of the uk and france and belgium and america um we can't forget the actions actually that that they carried out in history um that have cemented our, our prolonged state now, like going back to Lumumba, they were all, it was a big conspiracy, you know, to to kill him off. And essentially they knew that if they didn't, the economic problem that we were describing about, about Congo before wouldn't, it wouldn't exist, you know, would be a super state. Mm. Um, and they could see that, they could foresee that. So, you know, them conspiring with each other, you know, the British um, MI6, you know, there was a spy, um, her name was Daphne Park. She um, she was labelled like the queen of spies, essentially, yeah. in Europe. And she was working with um, Lumumba's enemies on the ground. There was also the American, um, the CIA. You know, Lumumba reached out to the, the United Nations a lot of times saying, look, I need help. There's Belgians in Congo and, you know, they want to separate us. And 
they don't want us to benefit from our resources. You know, him thinking that the UN might offer mm. him some help, but they didn't. They thought, right, well, he's obviously got his head screwed on, so let's let's help get rid of this guy. That's their that's their role in it. Of course, they're Belgians. We can't ignore that they were there on ground. You know, their military was there on ground, overseeing Congolese people working. You know, digging up these minerals, taking them back to Belgium. So, essentially, when I look at Europe, I think that without Africa, none of it would be possible. Mm. Um, and that's really the case with Congo. When we ask, okay, what role did they play? That's the role that they played. They robbed our countries to to build their own countries and that's essentially they they did everything they went to the furthest extent to ensure that that was the case whether it's killing whether it's stealing yeah that's the role that they played it's 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 i know it's gonna be difficult listening for um for listeners but it's just it's just disgusting when you go into the details of the history the economic problem and because the impact of all these actions and and at the very root of it is versus interest and greed it's yeah. just agreed obviously with these companies if they're doing things the semi-moral way that's going to eat into their ridiculous profit margins yeah um obviously with um obviously foreign nations having independent states that have large natural resources isn't the most beneficial to you you can't bully them you can't use them um to to vote the same way you want them to vote in the UN and all these type of things. And all these issues lead to the humanitarian crisis. Like when I was looking at some of World Bank figures, according to the World Bank, 72%, so that's for every 10 people that live in the Democratic Republic of Congo, it's likely that seven of them live in extreme poverty, which is described as under $2 a day, which yeah. is just ridiculous. And another thing I saw from the World Bank, um, 43% so that's if you take 10 children it's likely that four of them will be mal malnourished and wow. a lot of this and at the root of this it's easy to talk about our oh, corruption and leaders blah 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 which I, I which I do agree with to a certain extent but mm -hmm. it's a whole as you've detailed there's a whole dynamic that have led to the um the end result of the humanitarian crisis. Obviously, you you know a lot more about this than me. So, if you can help the listeners, kind of really taking the impact of the humanitarian crisis that's in Congo right now. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, that was those figures. I didn't I didn't know them, and that really does outline, um, you know, the quality of life that that mm -hmm. people in Congo. Because we you know we've touched on like um, how multidimensional the source of the problem in Congo is, but it's the what about the people on ground? You know, they're they have um, healthcare issues whereby, and, and everything sort of intertwines when it comes to these huma humanitarian issues because you've got workers that were deployed from organisations that are put in place to protect people. And this is how twisted it is. You've got Oxfam, um, MSF, UNICEF. Um, World Health Organization. They deployed workers to Congo, um, and and I'm now now that I'm actually explaining it, I'm even thinking like I'm a bit skeptical about these Ebola outbreaks that they report in Congo because it seems like they report them when it's convenient for you know them to send people in. Or mm. I, I'm I don't want to put anything out there, but that's just my critical thinking, right? But you know you've got situations like when these aid workers are raping women they're saying that actually in exchange for your job we want to sleep with you um they're impregnating women um you know they're giving women diseases sexually transmitted diseases and 
women are also contracting Ebola and all they want to do is work. There's also the child labour issue. You know, that $2 a day, you're talking about that's an adult or that's like uh, the average person living Mm. on under $2 a day. So what about the children Mm. that are as young as four? And in the minds, you know, that child labour issue. That's insane. Because I want listeners to think about what your four-year-old's daughter or son or nephew or niece or little cousin is up to at four and to think people being deployed into mines at age four. Right. And the extent of it is like, when for me, when I look at the fact that in these companies, you know, you've got all these, um, you've got all these, written terms about oh you know health and safety and child safety and let's protect children and i'm all for that like but where is that why is that not extended to children as young as four you know in in congo and and you know i'm not going to be blind to the fact that it's happening all over africa as well this child labor thing is happening all over africa um so you've got that you've got those elements you've also got people that are fighting for women's rights um one good example i can use is dr dennis mukegwe he's like um he's a gynecologist and he is also a women's rights activist and he he's built hospitals for like the well-being of sexual assault victims and his life has been threatened multiple multiple times and you think like how backward is this is this crisis that somebody that's trying to help victims is under major major threat mm. um but essentially the way the leaders and the powers that be see it is that well if you're trying to help people then you're exposing us so you know you, you need to, you even need to be careful when you're trying to do good um and also i just want to i want to touch on the fact that we have all these issues but it's also important to remember that just like every other African country, we have daily societal issues. Like we have tribalism, we have mm. sexual discrimination, we have police brutality, and also like shout out to my brothers and sisters that are being strong and fighting on the on the front line in Nigeria. We stand with them and bad governance in Nigeria. Period, because it's happening everywhere. Facts. And this is just you know this is just a clear example. Like we're still facing police brutality as well just like many other countries in africa so all of these non-self-inflicted issues are happening while the people of congo just like everyone else are still striving to live like in a truly liberated society where they're liberated from colonial colonialism liberated from sexual um, discrimination and assault and all of these issues so it's it's i just want to really reflect the quality of life for the people that are there as well when i talk about the humanitarian crisis it's all of these factors contribute to the quality of life of these people there's no jobs you know the jobs that are that are there are forced labor essentially or or child labor or you know you can't even be a nurse without being raped or all of this stuff and i'm not saying that's reflective of the whole country so there are parts where people are working and people are well off but for the most part that that's what people are facing yeah and it's one of the key things you said that this is obviously replicated all across Africa, but it's very important for us to be aware, especially as Africans, or in my opinion, if you're a half decent human being, do you know what I mean? This hearing this type of thing should cause alarm bells. Um, this is a random freestyle question. How do you think like um the like consumerism from us in the West impacts people back home in in this case, Congo? Because I see some people like saying, yo, we're out here grabbing a new iPhone every time they make it. These yeah, yeah. times at the root 
at the root of the iPhone is these mines where where young children or even adults are being underpaid, undervalued in terrible working conditions and exploited. So what's your take on that? Um, That's a good question. And I thought about, I was thinking about this earlier and I thought, well, if I'm going to sit here and say, oh, the West is responsible and, and Apple is responsible and, you know, other African countries, if I'm going to point the finger, which I've done, yeah, I have to also say that sometimes I think Congo's problem is everyone's problem. Mm. Because, um, and I say this because, no, we're not at fault, but we've been blindly consuming, mm. blindly consuming. And I think it's about, so it's about that ethical awareness, like how our consumerism can impact them for the better if we actually withhold, you know, that um, or delay that gratification of, oh, Apple's dropped an iPhone. You know, nothing's wrong with my iPhone. I'm just going to go and give Apple the money because I just want this phone. I, like, that's all I care about. Mm. The consumerism, the fact that I've got it, you know, because um, that's what consumerism is, you know, people that, especially when you're looking at a luxury good, it's over how many people have got it and Apple have got that down to the T. Yeah, so, masterful. Um, yeah, so I think that how we can help um, is like I've seen many people trying to suggest that, you know, if your phone is not on its last legs and, you know, because we've, we've all got an iPhone, we're all complicit. Like I'm talking to you on an iPhone right now, do you know what I mean? But mm. I think it's about blind consumerism that we need to tackle. Um, and I think if you know, you know, your phone's not on its last legs and you could possibly go without upgrading iPhone, upgrading your iPhone when it comes out, and people with people can say, okay, this is just stupid because you know, guess what? Everyone's gonna still go and buy an, an iPhone anyway, and you know, you not upgrading is not gonna do much. But I think it will in the long run because when they start putting out these phones and the amount of people that rush to upgrade on the first week is going down, and you know, they're noticing that maybe they're selling more refurbished and less brand new ones. You know, this is me just being um, optimistic but hopefully that would actually start to show them that okay maybe we do need to start answering for some of these um humanitarian issues that we're brushing under the carpet so i think we just need to be a bit more um ethical in our decisions when we're buying technology because let's face it we need technology in the world that we live in okay it keeps us keeps us going around so we need it but i think we need to make more ethical decisions and that is really all I can suggest, like, without without being a hypocrite, because, you know, I might sound like one because I'm talking with an iPhone, but that's all I can suggest, and I am and I know I'm willing to do that, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you, I hear you. Um, so, so um, Congo is bleeding became the hashtag so, um, on social media that people are following. So what are some of the things that people based in the UK or people based outside of Congo, whether it's got listeners all over the world and that, like what can people, what do you think, what are the things that people can do to kind of, I don't know, like kind of address the issue, amplify the issue, help people on the ground? What what are the things that people can do, the people that do want to um, be of assistance and make help be a part of a change? Um, so I think first and foremost, it would be, everyone including myself can do with educating themselves like if you've got time you know just have a little read of of what's going on um obviously with congo as we've seen there's it's so multi-dimensional you won't be able to touch on everything and i know i've not touched on everything today either but it's all about educating yourself and being being more informed first of all um the second thing i would suggest is this whole free Congo movement and those of um, those of us who are like working behind it and organising the protest, 
we want to make as much noise as possible. So I feel like writing to authoritative figures like in your community um, and the aim of that would be to push for it to be spoken about in parliament. Because the thing with Congo is it's too much of a secret. It's too silent. Like what happens in Congo, it's been a silent Holocaust. It's, it comes up, it, don't, it never quite reaches the surface. You know what I mean? And that's been, this, that's been the situation for, for many, many years. So I feel like our, our aim is to make as much noise as what's happened for what's happening there as possible. So I think also getting your um, your local MPs trying to get their attention. That's something that we're trying to do. We're working on um, templates for letters to your MP and we'll, we will publish them. So if anyone's interested in writing to their local MP, then we'll have a template for you that you can use um, as well as doing open letters and really calling those people out. But I think um, looking into supply chains, like it might sound a bit, tedious but these are the necessary things um that people can do so that they're they're more informed and um i have got a link on my page it's on my website as well that there's a list of charities that are based on the ground and the Congolese charities some of them are between london and congo as well so that's always good um but they are you know working to giving children school equipment working for sexual assault victims and we really need care for those people because Congo has many, many children that are affected from from war crimes and many, many women that need to be cared for. So I feel like in terms of how can you help, apart from the things that you could do by educating yourself and, you know, if you do want to extend a hand, it would be, you know, look up some charities that are working with sexual assault victims and um, charities that are helping orphan children, you know, or children that have been traumatised by labour um, and there is a link that I've got. I'll, I'll send it over to you so that you can share it with everyone. So that they fantastic. Can as well. Okay, fantastic. Okay. Um, I don't think I've missed anything. Is there anything else you'd like to add um, where people can find you on social media, where people can find your work, if you could go over your website again? Um, yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Sozia. It's two S's. O-Z-I-N-H-A and then it's two underscores um, and I hate you people put underscores like, in, in your name it's just very uh, confusing like do you know I don't think I could get the at like I think it was just one of them ones where I tried to well, oh really oh, okay that. I thought that'd be quite yeah. exclu- I thought that'd be quite exclusive but anyway go on yeah you think so but um, yeah my website is sozia.com two S's at the, at the beginning as well and my Instagram which I I use Instagram mainly for my blog so I promote my blog Instagram which is by.sozia the two S's at the start as well okay fantastic okay well Shirley you've been a fantastic guest you've given us a lot of information um, people make sure you check out her work on her website follow her blog follow her Twitter and also keep your ears to the streets for the news regarding Congo and if you can even if it's like not going to get the iPhone 12 that's just dropped that is going to be completely indifferent from the iPhone 11 that dropped last year um <laughs> try to do that but yeah, yeah make sure you subscribe on apple Podcasts. make sure you follow on soundcloud or follow on spotify also share this podcast you may have um, colleagues that might not be from your demographic that may need to learn about these things so along yeah. with sharing the bbc links you can also share in this podcast because it gets a lot of information in one but yeah surely thank you for thank having you Ayla. thank you been a great guest and to the listeners have a fantastic week and stay safe Podcast Network.